This podcast is brought to you by Midwinter, the cyberpunk fantasy graphic novel series from Revision Studios. Eisner Award-winning legend comics and coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash two-headed-nerd today to find out how you can become a supporter. This is New Again, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 481 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum. I can't wait till we get to 500 so we can just jump off the top of the ziggurat and be done with it. No, we have to renumber at that point so people are no. interested again. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. Thanks to an ancient curse, I share a body with my co-host Matt, who likes to think he's in charge, but we all know the truth. And together we dig through the stacks of New Comic Book Day to educate you, our loyal listeners, and help you make an informed choice on your comic book buying. In this episode, Joe and I review Lucy Dreaming, number one, and the confusingly numbered Mighty Thor, number 705, then... Why, 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 why? Why is it confusingly numbered? Oh, just because everything at Marvel's confusingly numbered right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then we'll attack eight more books during the ludicrous speed round, and after that, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll discuss our must-read picks for next week, and finally, we'll host another edition of Nerd TV! where we discuss sci-fi's Superman without Superman prequel, Krypton. But before we get into all of that crap, let's steal ourselves and get ready for the inappropriate touching coming from this week's Ready Player One release. And then we can talk about this week's Nerd News. Big news, Matt, from the Frank Miller desk. DC Comics has signed a five-project deal with notorious Grim Reaper, Frank Miller. <laughs> Seriously, that dude looks like death on a holiday. Yeah, he hasn't looked good for, oh God, 30 years? I mean, I hate to like shame a dude's looks, but he really is a scary dude. Not me, I love shaming looks. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like 35 years ago, like reading Frank Miller books and going, man, how old is that guy? Well, I mean, he is an, <laughs> look, he is an ugly man. That's just the, yeah, that's just the fact. What can you do? So the first project was already announced at Superman Earth One with art by John Romina Jr. published through the Black Label imprint. Uh, there's also going to be a story featuring the Dark Knight Returns' Carrie Kelly. It'll be a graphic novel with art by Ben Caldwell. And then there's three more projects that have not yet been announced. Separate from that deal, he's also been hired to illustrate Thomas Wheeler's Cursed, Ugh. which is... A young adult novel from Simon & Schuster's Children's I, Publishing. Have they seen his art recently? Yeah, it, which reimagines the King Arthur legend from the point of view of 16-year-old Nimue, who is the young woman who first wielded Excalibur and becomes the Lady of the Lake. Yeah. So all of these projects, Superman Year One, whatever, that's one thing. But now the dude is doing like all ages books. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of a worse choice yeah. to draw all ages books than Frank Miller. I'm going to back it up and just... Milo Manara, maybe. <laughs> Milo Manara. Let's dial it back to the Superman thing. I'm not, I don't want him to even write that after the recent stuff we've seen him write. Who's excited eh. about Frank Miller anymore? Who the black label the black label stuff's out of continuity. I don't I, really care. I mean, so much. I get that, but like who's excited about this stuff? I don't I don't know. I, I don't think his like, last Dark Knight 
whatever it was, Dark Knight Three that he did. I don't think it sold yeah, very well. The Master Race. Nobody like, cared. It, was- it got panned by reviewers. I mean, who's excited about this? Is he even a name? Is he a sales force anymore? Speak up, if you guys. If you work at a shop or something where Frank Miller sells like hotcakes, I want to hear about it because I don't believe that he is a name anymore. Well, according to Jim Lee, he's an absolute visionary. He the, look, the guy was quote. very important to comics history. I completely agree with that. But I would say now it's time to gracefully retire and shut your racist mouth. You know what I mean? Like the 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 Carrie Kelly book looks good. Ben Caldwell's a great artist, but Stop revisiting the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, I don't care. Stop doing it. I don't care about Carrie Kelly. I don't care about the Dark Knight Returns. There was one good book and a bunch of crap that came afterwards. We don't need any more of it. I just, I thought that we as a collective industry were done with Frank, but I guess we're not. We went to bed. We had that fever. We sweat Frank off and we woke up feeling much better, right? Wrong. It's still here. (laughs) I just. I, I really do. I would like to hear from some people that that are still fans of Frank Miller yeah. and his current output. Because I want a Frank Miller Defenders episode. That's what I want. I, I want an addition. I don't of, someone get, get on here and defend Frank Miller's work in the last. I'm going to say 20 years. I'll give you 20 years of Frank Miller. Okay. Don't get on and tell me how awesome the first Dark Knight book was or how great the first Sin City book was. That's not what I want to hear about. I want a modern defense of Frank Miller. Bring it on. Turning the Astro City desk, Kurt Busick, Brent Anderson, and Alex Ross's Astro City is in development for television with American Gods production company Fremantle Media, which is one word. It's weird. Yeah, weird. Yeah. (laughs) We all know about Astro City. It's a book that Joe and I won't stop screaming about how wonderful it is that focuses on homages of all your favorite superheroes, storylines, and worlds. It's been published from Image and DC Comics since 1995. Busick will write the pilot alongside screenwriter Rick Alexander, while Gregory Novcek, right? Novik? Novik? Novik. Novik. While Gregory Novik will serve as executive producer. Never heard of him. I think this is a wonderful idea that loans- What took them so long? Yes. This loans itself perfectly to television because you can literally have every superhero you've ever wanted from any comic book story in it with a slightly different name. This is so much more brilliant than what's going on on Gotham, and later on we'll talk about Krypton, where we just keep recycling these stories, but we can't use the main characters, so let's just use some B-list characters. They can do whatever they want here. There's, there's X-Men homages, there's Fantastic Four homages, there's a Superman homage. This is going to be amazing. I'm really excited about it. I, I'm The best thing about Astro City not just is not just like the homages to the characters we love, but it's also about the it's about the people. Yes. And it's about superheroes being a part of everyday life and the people that kind of live in that situation. Yeah. And that's I think where you're going to get the meat of a lot of the stories. What I don't want is for them to like boil Astro City down to like a core six characters. Yeah, I don't want that at all. And have it be about the same thing every season. Yeah. Like, I, I I would love it if Astro City was almost like an anthology show, sort of like the comic is. Or a police procedural. They never do that anymore, you know? Like a wacky right, superhero. Yeah. Or medical, a medical. Either. Yeah, or a medical procedural. Oh, it could take place yeah. in Chicago. They could call it Chicago Astro City. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it needs to be like the book, where they follow... Like, there are characters that reappear, 
but they're really following the day-to-day of the people that live in Astro City and how they interact with the heroes, and they pop in and out, and there's storylines featuring different heroes that come and go, and they examine the past, they examine the present, you know. I need them to do it like that, and I'm really scared that they are going to try and boil it down because they think, well, audiences are dumb, and this is how they like it. We got good-looking guy, pretty girl, and we're going to follow them through their wacky story of Astro City. And I'm like, ugh. But, you know, like, um, Busick is involved. He's writing the pilot, you know, so that gives me hope. Yeah. And Busiek and uh, Busiek Anderson and Ross, they own Astro City completely, right. 100%. So there's no chance of, like, publisher interference or or things getting getting out of hand. Like, Busiek... Well, that depends where this lands. If this lands at NBC, Yeah. There will be interference because it's their money. If this lands at like Amazon or YouTube Red or you know someplace where they have complete freedom, I'll feel a lot better about it. I don't want to see yeah, this on the CW. That- I don't want to see this. On, well, maybe the CW is okay. I don't know. Like Riverdale has been fantastic, but I don't want to see this on NBC or Fox or even FX. I want them to go take this someplace where they have the freedom to tell the Astro City story they want to tell. Amazon Prime, dude. Like be fine with me. Do it. Do it like the tick. The short bursts. You know, tick yeah. season two came out. Uh, season one was only six episodes. Just hit them with short punches. Sure. Short arcs or one shot episodes. Even that's I think the best case scenario for Astro City. But yeah, I'm hopeful. I hope it's good. And finally, we have a developing story from our Infinity War desk. Joe Patrick. Now, potential spoilers ahead. For Avengers Infinity War. Oh, so if you are on. sensitive, <laughs> if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, maybe skip ahead five minutes. Smash your digital listening device now. Throw your phone into the toilet. A purported cast list for Infinity War was posted on Metacritic, and it lists Silver Surfer as part of the cast, played by actor Kurt Clendenin, which is a really difficult name. And I would argue doesn't matter. Silver Surfer doesn't matter who's playing him. He's silver. <laughs> like, I want him to have a robot voice, you know. He could just be completely CG. Now, nobody knows where Metacritic got this cast list, but it's got some weird discrepancies. Like, nobody from Thanos' Black Order is listed. Yeah. Uh, Peter Dinklage is listed just as principal cast instead of, like, by his character name. But nobody knows who's he, who he's playing. So... Maybe he's the voice of the Silver Surfer. <laughs> yeah, could be. I don't know. Um, that would be cool. Or this could be complete bullshit. This could be just but what, Marvel. But what if it's not bullshit? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. It just seems like it has to be, right? <laughs> like this deal with Fox has not gone through yet. So I find it hard to believe that they're like, uh, you know what? Let's put everything in danger by just using one of the characters now. And, well, uh, they wouldn't do it if they couldn't get away. They, if they couldn't get away with it, yeah. But, but the deal they're not, not just going to put a movie. They're not just going to put a character in a movie and say, "I dare you to sue me." <laughs> no, that's, that's just it. The deal's not done. I don't know this. If it is bullshit, it's very clever bullshit to shake us off track and get us to talk and freak out or whatever. But I also don't. You know, the counter argument to that is like, well, what is the point of that? Why get people excited for something like Silver Surfer if it's not going to happen? Galactus in Avengers Four. I don't know. God, I don't know. 
<laughs> I have no Why idea. Why else would Silver Surfer show up? I don't know. All I know is I've had so much fun with people quoting the uh, Marvel announcement that Avengers Infinity War is going to be the most ambitious team up <laughs> you've ever right. seen on it's Twitter. A fun meme. And then posting pictures of Bret Hart and Bart Simpson, <laughs> like going, oh, yeah. <laughs> Frazier meeting Dr. Phil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. This is such a wild rumor that I desperately want it to be true. Well, like at like this point, I, I, anything goes with these last two Avengers films. I feel like anything goes and I guess it's very possible. We're getting the silver surfer. I don't know. I don't so much care about whatever uh, right now, the X-Men we've had so much X-Men stuff and we're still getting more X-Men stuff, whatever. Right. But the idea of Marvel studios getting their hands on anything fantastic four related is like my biggest wish. So there's our Nerd News editorials for this week, but we want to know where you stand on these stories and everything we missed. So drop some knowledge on us over at the big news section of the THN forums. You can find them by heading to TweeHeadedNerd.com and clicking on the forums button. It's just that easy. From there, you're under the watchful eye of Brian Domenkos, our god emperor of the THN forums. Don't fuck with him. He's a vengeful guy, okay? He's tough but fair. <laughs> It's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I prove we've been taking our ADD medication by taking an in-depth look at two of this week's comments. Matt, let's talk about Thor. Let's talk about Thor. This is Thor number 705 from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron with art by Russell Dodderman. It's 32 pages. It's $3.99. Your solicit goes a little something like this. The Death of the Mighty Thor, part six! The epic showdown, years in the making, finally explodes across the heavens. Thor battles the unstoppable Mangog with the fate of all Asgardia hanging in the balance. Is Thor willing to pay the ultimate price in order to save the gods? The tragic and heroic story of Jane Foster finally reaches its heart-rending zenith. You knew it was coming. The death of Thor is here at last. It sure makes it sound like the conclusion of the story, doesn't it? I mean... No, no. I'm, I'm going to say they're saying Thor dies in this issue. I'm saying that, okay? I'm saying that we both looked at that and thought that this was the final issue of the Mighty Thor. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, we also knew that there is a solicitation for the next issue, though. Yeah, yeah. There okay. is so, anyone that has been reading comics for the last 10 years knows Jason Aaron's name. He's created an amazing body of work everywhere, from DC to Image, and, of course, his Thor run. While nowhere near over is already the stuff of legend. But the real star of Aaron's run on Thor is artist Russell Dodderman. There is so much blood, rage, fire, and psychedelic lunacy in this issue. It is almost overwhelming. Every panel dissolves into a detailed spasm of action and Armageddon that turns this issue into a masterclass of insane comic art. There is... Every, literally every panel is crackling with energy, fire, and godlike rage intermixed with scratchy onomatopoeia that blends perfectly into the chaos. As a longtime reader, there's no question that Jason Aaron's Thor has been masterful. And this storyline, as predictable as it's been, has also been exactly what he told us it would be. The rise and fall of Jane Foster, and wow, did it deliver. 
The year is far from over, but I am tempted to give this my single best issue right now. The, oh, my. The death of Jane Foster was simply amazing, and anyone bitching about a female Thor has not been reading this book. I cannot give this a bigger buy it. Yeah, it was really good, and I've done a really bad job staying caught up on Thor. I read Thor 700, uh, and I... Just never got around to reading 701 through 704, but I jumped right back in with this and I was fine. Uh, the art is amazing. I do have one little tiny nitpick. He draws so detailed and his lines are so thin. He sometimes draws the action so small in the panels that I found it a little bit hard to decipher what was going on just See, here and there. I almost liked the choice of doing that here because it made like the battle itself seems so huge. Like that these right, godlike right. characters are just tiny compared to these explosions and the fire and the size of Mangog, who is like sure, yeah. almost like as big as a moon at this point, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I love his panel light. His panel layouts are so inventive. Uh, the, the shape of the panels and yeah. how they flow around the page. Oh, absolutely. He's super duper talented. And I have loved Jason Aaron's run on Thor, and it, I am so mad at myself for falling behind. But this was a great issue. And like you said, it's exactly where we knew the story was going, but the journey has been so fulfilling. Even for me, as somebody who's not read every issue, um, I loved it. I, I just thought it was such a great moment. It's a huge buy it for me. It's it's ridiculous to even like think about it like this, but it's almost refreshing to hear a creator say, this is what I'm going to do with my story, and then to actually do it. You know, like no bullshit, no weird twists, no, you know, like just here you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Absolutely. refreshing. Joe Patrick, tell me about Lucy Dreaming. It wasn't until I sat down to write my review that I realized that the title of this book is a pun on lucid dreaming. Oh, man, that sucks. That yep. totally sucks. <laughs> I didn't get it either, but now I do, and I hate it. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. I do not Lu like puns. Lucy Dreaming, number one, from Boom Studios, was written by Max Bemis with art by Michael Dialanis. It was 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. In her dreams, Lucy is the hero of all her favorite stories, living each night as a grand adventure. These journeys will teach her more about herself and the real world around her than she ever expected. Lucy is a typical 13-year-old. She's a moody teenager, mad at the world around her, mad about her body, and just mad in general. She's <laughs> also, mad about my body, too. I get yeah, it. Yeah, she really hates your body. <laughs> She's also an obsessive reader of violent sci-fi and fantasy novels, her only escape from her misery. But one night she discovers that the vivid dream she's having is more than a dream. She slipped into another world in the middle of an intergalactic war with real life and death stakes. Max Bemis is a writer that I generally enjoy. I got a kick out of his uh, miniseries, Oh, Killstrike, uh, from a couple <laughs> years ago. And his run on Moon Knight was awesome. But I found his dialogue to be a little insufferable at times here. Mostly with Lucy's internal monologue. Hormone-addled teenagers that display a level of awareness about themselves and society that most adults don't even possess. Yeah, that was my problem it's, with Juno, where it was just like, yeah, it's, come it's on, one how of, old is this kid supposed to be? I mean, Dawson's Creek, it's the same shit. 
It's one of my biggest pet peeves in fiction. Although I'm fine with it on the Gilmore Girls for some reason. Doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> you know, like uh, a 13-year-old yeah, that just, oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I get that she's the main character and that she has to be fully formed, but it's just a bit much. But Bemis does a great job with the banter between the characters. The dream world Lucy finds herself in is a hilarious Star Wars homage with a cocky rogue named Bark Landon, a mashup of Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. I laughed out loud when Lucy discovered the brutal consequences of the blaster rifle she picks up. Yeah. <laughs> like th- these aliens are just like leaking guts and green blood and they're like, oh, my children. Who will care for my children now? Oh. Michael Dialinus is fresh off his work on The Woods with James Tinney and the Four. I didn't keep up with that series and I forgot just how good this guy is. He's fantastic. He's shifted to a slightly more exaggerated style for this book cartoony i hate that term but it's it's cartoony and it fits perfectly my favorite thing about it oddly my favorite thing about it is how he draws the mouths and i know it sounds weird but he draws them as these like long ovals with the teeth kind of nested inside yeah and it looks just like nick park's character designs for wallace and gromit yeah Think about Wallace and Gromit characters or anything that Nick Park's animation studio has done, and they have those long mouths. Right. It's also kind of like little chiclet teeth. It's kind of a manga comedy thing, too. I love it. It just I thought it was very charming. Yeah, it was. Well, it gives like that little that little touch gives a book like the lighter feel that it really needs. You know. Right. Right. Dionys also does a brilliant job on the colors. The real world has this kind of subdued palette with the environments fading into the background. And then everything shifts into bold focus in the dream world with bright hues that look almost like they were applied with a watercolor brush. And despite the exaggerated style, his backgrounds are beautifully detailed from the the kitchen table to the classroom to the alien ship and the armada in space like it's gorgeous aside from some rough dialogue at the beginning i did really enjoy lucy dreaming number one the title pun is terrible yeah that's really bad but i'm, the but concept- I'm also the guy that didn't realize department h was depth for, until like yeah yeah exactly issue 16 i was like wait a minute what <laughs> <laughs> the concept is really fun and the art is phenomenal and i think that this is definitely a series to watch i'm giving it a buy it yeah, I liked it, and I, I, I'm with you on the dialogue thing that fully formed adult in child body is like an old Hollywood writing trick that is just so played out and boring. But this was a really clever story. It was fun. It, it's another one of those ideas where they can visit any world they want and have a lot of fun with it with this main character, who is not annoying or anything. I, like, I liked Lucy. She's a very likable character. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm giving this a buy it as well. So that is a double buy it for Mighty Thor number 705 and a double buy it for Lucy Dreaming number one. We're going to post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com so you can tell us what you thought of these comics and feel free to give us a complete takedown of our opinions if we're wrong. Okay? Yes. Bring it on. We invite the hate. As we inch closer to April on the prairie that is Nebraska, we also approach allergy season. So with the turning of the seasons, the time has come for this two-headed monster to start injecting and swallowing handfuls of antihistamines. 
so we aren't choking on our own rivers of mucus during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed, go! Wonder Woman, Batman, The Brave and the Bold, number two, could this title be any longer from DC? I don't know how you make a Wonder Woman Batman team up comic boring, but writer artist Liam Sharp definitely nails it. <laughs> don't get me wrong, the book is beautiful. Sharp's ultra detailed rendering and creature design is stunning. But unless you're really, really into obscure Celtic lore, oh, puke, and characters just kind of standing still, you might want to flip through this one before adding it to your stack. Wow. It's a skim it. Cave Carson has an interstellar eye, number one, from DC's Young Animal. I know I constantly gush about this title, but that's only because you nerds aren't reading it. Michael Avon Oming has never looked better, drawing Cave and his daughter, meeting with an old friend that is obviously modeled after Prince, only this <laughs> rock star is an alien that's grown to giant size and is about to go supernova. This might not be the best jumping on point. In fact, it is not a great jumping on point. But I simply cannot resist how bizarre and wonderful Cave Carson continues to be each month. I'm giving this a buy it. Infinity 8, number one from Lionforge. Infinity 8 is a sexy, pulpy, high concept sci-fi series reminiscent of classic heavy metal. I'm too like, crude think, for this stuff, I'll tell you what. Think back to like heavy metal the movie type, type stories. Agent Yoko Karen is looking for a compatible breeding partner in her in a ship full of alien reprobates. Oh boy. But the search has to take a break when the Infinity nearly crashes into a giant necropolis floating in the void of space. Great work from Louis Trondheim and somebody called Zepp. <laughs> and gorgeous art by Dominique Vertail. Infinity 8 was a great surprise from Lion Forge. It's a buy it. Whenever I see these creators with one name, like Zep or Akko or whatever, I just picture a droid that's helping them. <laughs> right, know? yeah. It's like a, it's like Siri. Yeah. Help me with this paragraph. Pathfinder, Spiral of Bones, number one from Dynamite. If you're looking to spend your fantasy role-playing comic dollar on one title, then do yourself a favor and spend it on any of IDW's Dungeons & Dragons comics. While I'm intrigued with Pathfinder's gameplay, Dynamite has yet to really grab me on any of their Pathfinder comics. The art here is spotty at best. While the story took some chances, instead of hitting the usual party-building beats, it still left me pretty uninterested. I can only give this a skim it. Avengers 685 from Marvel. The Hulk is back and he is scary as hell! No Surrender barrels along as the team tries to gain footing in the Grandmaster's game and deal with the revelation of Voyager's true nature. I'm bummed that my theory was not true. Wow, wow. I thought it was Valeria Richards. Oh, that's a good theory. This event has been a ton of fun in the classic Avengers style, and the massive creative team is doing a fine job giving individual characters their moment to shine. Like, Quicksilver got some time, Wonder Man's getting some time. It's really great. I'm loving Avengers No Surrender, and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, it's got one month to go, so I think 690 is the last issue. Jump on this, it's super fun. Buy it. Cable 155 from Marvel. With Cable popping up in the upcoming Deadpool movie, I figured now would be the perfect time to check in on his monthly title. 155 is bidding him a new storyline that reunites Cable with. Uh, hope. The red. Yeah. The red-headed first mutant born after M-Day that no one cared about and for some reason Cable constantly refers to as his daughter. I, it's just dumb. 
Well, he raised her. Yeah, but it's not his daughter. Why would he be like, yep, that's my baby girl. That's my daughter. Well, like, but like he, like, raised her. For, like, he adopted, he took her and adopted her and yes. raised her for, like, 17 years. Yes, in a storyline that nobody cared about that went on forever and ended with nothing happening. This was bad. Even German Peralta's art wasn't as good as usual. No one cares about hope, and I don't care about this constantly jumping into the future of a Marvel U where nothing matters and there's no repercussions and we know Cable's gonna live. Leave it. Weapon H, number one from Marvel. When it was announced that the Weapons of Mutant Destruction storyline was going to introduce a Hulk-Wolverine hybrid character, I thought it was the dumbest thing I had ever heard. Until he got a Venom suit. (laughs) (laughs) But now that I've read Weapon H number one, I'm kind of lightened up about it. A Hulk with Wolverine claws is really one of the most comic booky ideas I've seen in a while. Oh, yeah. This is right out of the WWE playbook. I mean, come on. Yeah, and it's it's something that 10-year-old Joe Patrick would have gone bananas over. Greg Pak's story was really compelling, and Cody Smith, who I'd never heard of before this, provides some really great art. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this was a good comic. I'm giving Weapon H a buy it. Yeah, it was way better than it deserved to be. <laughs> and it's the scariest fucking Wendigo I've ever seen oh, in comics. Oh, yeah, loved it. O- outside loved of it. Guy Davis's BPRD version. Yasagi Yojimbo 166, or number one, of The Hidden from Dark Horse. If you've never read Yusagi, now is the time. Here, Yusagi finds himself investigating a pair of murders and the strange talisman left on the bodies. Stan Sakai is a master cartoonist, and I know you nerds have to be sick of me screaming about how great his Yusagi book has been for the last 25-odd years. This is a wonderful jumping-on point. If you haven't read it, do it now. Buy it. Crunch! That is your ludicrous speed round, and crunch is the sound of the Vision getting his brain scrambled by the Hulk, as seen in the pages of Avengers 685. Did he crush his head? Did he just, like, He just, like, finger smashed and him and... right in the brain. Woo! <laughs> yeah. This was submitted by Anna Sianis on the THN Facebook fan page. We got some great submissions this week, which I appreciate, uh, but all of the other submissions were from really old books. Oh. Yeah, it's got to be this week. It's got to be weekly. We need new or, I mean, It's fine if you're like catching up on something. I get it. It's fine. But like we talked about incredible Hercules sound effects way back in the day. Yeah. It's also fine if it's a fart noise. We'll, we'll I'll be like, all right, you know, I'm always yeah. down for a fart noise. <laughs> there's, a, there's an exception for fart noise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, just hit us up on any of our social media platforms or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Now that we're properly medicated and ready for spring, it's time for Joe and I to visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be ritually sacrificing one unlucky moloid to our Dark Lord Neron in hopes that he'll bless our mushroom fields for a healthy spring harvest. Joe, while we strap this little guy down, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week? It had to be Dark Knight's Metal number six from DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder, with art by Greg Capullo, it's 48 pages for $4.99, and here is your solicit. All roads lead, dot, 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 to darkness. <laughs> In the devastating and epic conclusion to DC's cataclysmic event series, heroes from across the universe make their final charge into the unknown to battle the forces of the dark multiverse. Space and time, dreams and nightmares, all will collide, and what is left at the end will leave the DC universe 
irrevocably changed. One of my favorite uh, returning bits that we constantly do on the show is announcing all the punctuation. Yeah, for <laughs> I sure. love it. <laughs> like exclamation point! <laughs> <laughs> so, Dark Knight's Metal is the event that will not end, and the end is finally here after months of delays. Oh yeah, sure it is. This is the end, right? Well, this We're is the done. final issue. We're of the done talking about Dark Knight's Metal after this. <laughs> well, then there's all the spinoffs and yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Look, and I've enjoyed it, but I I won't lie. Like between issues three and five, I've really had a hard time understanding it. I'm still fully on board and loving it. No, I enjoy reading it. It's just like what is happening. It's like reading. It's like reading some of the more obtuse issues of. Uh, Grant Morrison's Multiversity or Final Crisis. Oh, yeah. They've done so much damage to these characters and the DC Universe that I really got to see how they put it all back together. Uh, Greg Capullo is amazing. I'm excited to see it all wrap up, even though we all know it's not really going to wrap up completely. No. Matt Bomb, I didn't even see this book on the list. It's a Tell thing. me all about it. It is a thing, and I don't have a good reason that anyone should be excited for the return of Cyberforce. To be quite honest, Cyberforce number one from Image, written by Matt Hawkins. That would be the only reason I can come up with. With art by Attilio Rojo. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. To protect the future, what will we become? The classic series returns in a reimagining overseen by creator Mark Silvestri. In a modern world where humanity is defined by the technology it creates. A terrorist comma. strikes. Comma. A terrorist strikes at the heart of human progress. One of the few survivors of the attack is a man named Morgan Stryker, mortally wounded. Stryker's life is saved by his employers, dot, dot, dot. But the price could be his humanity itself. Look. So this is another reboot yeah, of Cyber another Force. Another reboot of Cyber Force. Cyber Force is stupid. I, I, I'm just going to lay it out there. It's dumb. It was an X-Men knockoff. Mark Silvestri got invited to come to Image back in the day, and they said, what do you want to do, Mark? He's like, I want to do the X-Men. They're like, Mark, we don't own the X-Men. Maybe we could do something else. He's like, all right, well... I'm going to do the not X-Men that are actually what if, robot what if people. We did the, what if we did the X-Men, but they got their powers from robot parts? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it was very pretty to look at, but it was dumb. And I just have this soft spot in my heart for Cyberforce. I do really like Matt Hawkins. The guy writes fantastic comics. He has his own little corner of the Top Cow universe. And I'm curious to see what he does with this. Pick it up. See what you think. The THN Trade of the Week goes to... Flayed Corpse and Other Stories Gross. from Fanagraphics. <laughs> I know. Written and illustrated by Josh Simmons and Friends. It's 164 pages for $24.99. Here's your solicit. Black River's Josh Simmons returns with a harrowing and genre-bending collection of more than two dozen short stories. The individual stories in Flayed Corpse stand on their own and also complement each other in ways that only heighten the anxiety and dread pouring from the pages. Uh, Flayed Corpse, uh, yada, 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 several collaborations, other cartoonists. Sure. <laughs> People that don't deserve to be named. <laughs> this no, I mean, they're, oh, okay, this, I'll name them. No, you don't have to name them, I'm just kidding. All right. This I mean, sounds their really names cool. are in the solicit, but I'm not going to list them all. I, this just looks fun. It looks like a fun, kind of scary, I don't know if it's horror exactly, but it is like an anthology book written by one dude. With a bunch of great artistic collaborators. It uh, sounds like a fun time. I believe it is psychological horror. Psychological horror. There you go. So there's our picks for next week. 
do your retailer a favor and add them to your pull list now. And of course, let us know what you thought of our picks and what you plan on reading over at the THN forums. Joe, this squirmy little guy got blood all over the place. You've really got to work on your knot tying. I was never a Boy Scout. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I forgot. They kicked you out of the Weeblos. That's right. Once again, the clever folks at the WB have figured out a way to make another show that centers on one of DC's biggest heroes, but doesn't star him. Nope. If you loved Gotham, you may or may not love Krypton. Kids, it's time for another episode of Nerd TV. You did it. The Krypton edition. I did it. So, Matt, let's get into it. What did you think of Superman without Superman? (laughs) First... Just a disclaimer. I fucking hate this stuff. I hate it. Didn't we learn anything from Star Wars episodes one, two, and three? <laughs> like when we go way back in time and deal with like ancient relatives of characters that we would rather see. <laughs> I hate that crap. With that said, this was not the Gotham mess that I thought it was going to be. I hate Gotham. I will go on record as saying it is the worst. Stop watching it. Get that crap off the air. (laughs) I'm glad this is on sci-fi because they gave it an extremely sci-fi feel. Like, the effects are wonderful. Looks really, really cool. Kandor looked kick-ass. The ships looked great. The outfits. I mean, everything about it looked cool. Did it feel like the Krypton that I know? Did I picture it? No, not really. This was more of like a Blade Runner in space kind of look to Krypton. And so it's it's kind of an amalgamation of multiple different yes. versions of Krypton. They crushed throughout the comics. They crushed all of them together and you sort of get this generic space alien city feel to it. You know what I mean? It not it, not that it looked bad. It just looked kind of generic. I don't agree. I mean, it was still recognizable to me as Krypton. It really? had the elements that, uh, the elements of like the caste system and the and the family ranks and stuff. No, that, I'll give no, I'll give you that. I'm just talking about the city, the way it looked visually. Period. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah, but, that's what I'm talking about. I, I'll go more into. We'll go more into that. Just I mean, it wasn't look- like tall crystalline structures that don't look like buildings. Like yeah. Superman the movie. If that's I, if no, I, you know, uh, it, I would yeah. like to see a modern take on that. Maybe, you know, it was also not like it wasn't the man of steel Krypton where with these like weird towers that were way far away from each other and everybody had to ride dragons to get around. Oh, yeah. Well, no, you know, that was the Lord of the Rings <laughs> Krypton. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm just saying the look of the show was good. I liked the way that everyone dressed. I, I I liked the symbols weren't overly done. You know, like everybody had a caste system with their symbol on their chest, which we've come to be used to in, you know, the history of Superman as we know it and the DCU. The one thing that stuck out like a sore thumb and was just absolutely stupid, spoiler alert, no, I'm not going to spoil it. There's a character here that's traveled through time to talk to... Oh, no, no. We need to talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it. Spoiler alert. Adam like, Strange so, is here. <laughs> right. Everything everything in this pilot was in the commercials and the lead up to this to this show. So okay. I think it's fair game. So Adam Strange shows up to talk to yeah. Superman's great-grandfather, who 
At his this, grandfather. It's at, just his grandfather. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. It's just his grandfather. The House of yeah. L is in turmoil because there's this spiritual leader, the voice of Rao, that is ruling over Candor with sort of an iron fist, and you have a bunch of religious zealots and thugs that are following him. Yada, 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 you know? So Adam Strange shows up. And how is he dressed? Well, he's wearing a Detroit Tigers baseball cap, a hooded sweatshirt, and a military jungle jacket and jeans, you know, so he'll fit in. <laughs> like, what well, in he the hell were they thinking? <laughs> like, well, he can't. Like, I joked about this with Jared. He, he, as much as I would have liked to seen it, it's not like he could have worn the red onesie with the mandoliers. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I need Adam Strange with the fin on his head and everything like that. But we know that he has the power to travel through time and space. He is aware of Krypton. He probably has a fairly good idea of what people wear. And he shows up dressed like that. Like when I first saw the character, it, it was so, I was like, what in the fuck is with this guy? <laughs> you knew he was going to be a major part of the story. You instantly knew he's some dumb time traveler because of the way he's dressed. And no one around him, until he meets Cal's grandfather, no one around him goes, what are you wearing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> It would be like if somebody traveled back in time to talk to Joe Patrick and tell him that his son is going to be very important and that person was dressed like Elton John in the 70s. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, what the fuck is this guy doing? You it know? wasn't that bad. <laughs> he was in like the underbelly of Candor where like all the low, the low cast people were. Right. He was wearing grubby clothes. In a Detroit Whatever. Tigers hat. Come on. Whatever. <laughs> well, and, and Jor-El, or uh, not Jor-El, Seg-El, yeah, the Sig main L, character. Right. Seg, S-E-G, S-E-G, Seg L. It was hard to understand what his name was because, you know, on Krypton, everybody has a British accent. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly how I expected in all my sci-fi. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. That kind of drives me nuts. But at the same time, I guess I'm also glad that everyone doesn't have like this totally Midwestern zero accent. So <laughs> right, you know what yeah, I mean? Right. Like we could be anyone and you can relate to us when he, sh when he pops, when he beams onto Krypton for the first time, sure. He's wearing his street clothes. But why didn't he immediately go try to find some Krypton right. gear to blend it? Come on. I mean, seriously, but or that's you, a small nit. And if you're no. going to do it, fuck it. Put him in the red onesie. Who cares? Do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So let's get into plot. Let's, let's get into the plot. We've already revealed that this is the story of Superman's grandfather rebuilding the House of El. We've got your iron-fisted religious order that's running Candor. Right. How does so Joe Patrick feel? You're the biggest Superman fan in the world. How does Joe Patrick feel about this? <laughs> you know, I went into it kind of dreading it, and I ended up really enjoying it. Okay. Like I said, it's kind of an amalgamation. It's kind of an amalgamation of many different versions of the lore. And that was fine with me because Krypton is constantly rebooted. Right. Every like every time they they retell Superman's origin story, Krypton is different than the last time they did it. And sometimes they borrow elements and or bring back elements from the Silver and Golden Age. Sometimes they don't. It, it also showed kind of an evolution of Krypton because if you look at the old fortress, uh, Seg's grandfather's fortress, the symbol was more like the Man of Steel S. Yeah, definitely. But then if you look at the 
family crests that they were wearing. They, it was the more traditional S. And then Superman's cape, Adam Strange comes to that comes to Seg and says, something is happening to the timeline. A villain is coming to eat your planet. And if you don't stop him, the greatest hero in the universe will never be born. Your grandson becomes Superman. Here's his cape. And it had the traditional yellow S, like the the real like if you buy a Superman t-shirt, that's the logo that's gonna be on it. Right. When they show up at the fortress and they shine the spotlight to reveal the the family symbol, the John Williams Superman theme played. Big I don't time. know if you caught that. Big time. Yeah. And I knew the and second they did it, I said to myself, Well, Joe likes this show no matter what happens now. I'm I'm not that I'm easy, but I'm not that easy. But it did like it gave me a charge and it kind of it also I kind of took it as this indication that they're not ignoring this rich lore. You know, they're not ignoring what came before. Yeah, I'll give you um, that. Krypton Krypton is kind of a blank slate. You know, everybody knows the story of Jor-El and and you know his struggle to get the council to recognize that Krypton's gonna explode, blah right, blah blah. Right. But go back before that and there's not a lot of continuity there yeah that's i i will say krypton is in a much better spot than gotham is because gotham has had to resort to every b-list bad guy you can think of was around before batman came and when batman grew up they were all at least 50 you know (laughs) right and and now we're on gotham season four i think and the the kid the little kid who's like 14 or 15 is dressing up like a crime fighter yeah I was like, what the hell? So dumb. Um, but I mean, the point but, being, you're right. Krypton is a blank slate that they can play with a lot more. Um, was and, was the is it a spoiler to talk about the big bad alien? Was that in the preview? Like no, the, but I want to make one real quick point about the Gotham comparison. Okay. It's a prequel, yes, but it doesn't do that thing you hate about Gotham, where it's got all the Batman mythos without Batman. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Definitely. They like it's straight up. It's like Superman is essential to the survival of the universe. You need to stop the destruction of Krypton. Right. They, they, at, at least for now. There isn't a hint, hint, nudge, nudge. This is a story about Batman, but not Batman. We're not talking about Batman. We're talking about Batman, but not Batman. Right. You get it? You know? this, is a, this is a story about <laughs> Superman's family, and yeah. they do not make any attempt to hide it. And so, yeah, the, the big scary villain that's coming to destroy Krypton before its time is Brainiac. Right. And he looked fucking awesome. Okay, why can they do that so well here? But when Brainiac 5 shows up on Supergirl, it looks like the dumbest shit in the world. I don't know. Maybe sci-fi has a way bigger budget. I I guess. I don't know. But this was like, it looked like that Jeff Johns Brainiac. The Gary Frank version. Yeah, that Gary Frank drew that was like all wrapped up in the weird like living technological web thing, holding miniaturized cities and his giant ship. It looked great. I thought it was really cool. There was a lot yeah, about Krypton I, that, yeah, I enjoyed. I did think the Adam Strange thing was dumb, but <laughs> but they've also got to connect it to you know the world as we know it, and that's not a terrible way to do it. It really right. Is. I I I like the choice to connect it to the modern day DC universe. Yeah, and I think Adam Strange is the perfect character to do it. I will say the dissolving cape, like the hourglass, stupid. 
That's like, nah, nah. That's so it's dumb. Like, it's you know so what? It's back like, to the future where it's like, what's going on sure. in me in this Polaroid, dude? <laughs> I, look, man, I'm fine with that. It, I'm, I'm fine with it. Maybe it's a little cheesy, but it was, adds kind of like a ticking clock element. I thought it was dumb. Like a sense of urgency. No, I think it's cool. I'm fine with the ticking clock. Just use a different ticking clock. That's all I'm saying. It's Adam Strange. Give him a device. This countdown, is, if it gets to zero, then Superman is wiped out of, you know, whatever's. <laughs> like I'm carrying no, around but his like fucking seeing cape? Superman seeing Superman's cape slowly dissolve yeah. like that's got some weight to it I suppose you no. can't just have like a big digital clock on the wall so let's rate Krypton on our scale is it a watch it a DVR it or a leave it well, I mean, it's a DVR it because I don't want to watch commercials, yeah. but it's definitely a watch it <laughs> fair enough. I'm giving it a watch it as well. I want like. This was way better than it had any right to be, and I was surprised. I don't know. I'm going to watch more of it. it. I was very pleasantly surprised. I think it's super well done. Um, I think, uh, like, I was a little worried about it kind of falling into the trap, the CW trap, where it's like, it's a bunch of gorgeous people. Right. Just kind of, like, going through the motions. But, no, it's it's good. The cast is good. The main character, I really like him. He's got, like, a squirrely... Uh, best friend that he does cons with, yeah. which I think is kind of fun. No, neither of them were very, bad. The performances were pretty solid. I, it was more violent than I thought it was going to be. They said shit a couple times. I was like, whoa, this yeah, is hey, hardcore. Hey, baby, it's basic cable. <laughs> Seg, in the bar scene especially at the beginning, it was like very reminiscent of Chris Pine in the first Star Trek reboot movie where he's picking fights in the bar. Right. In the Starfleet bar. Um, but yeah, I really like it. He's cocky. He's roguish. He's handsome. He's rugged. He's rugged. Yeah. I think it's great. I, Krypton's a watch it. I think it's so much better than I was expecting. And I was ready to be disappointed. That is it for the Krypton edition of Nerd TV. We want to know what you guys thought. Hit us up on the THN forums or the THN Facebook fan page or Twitter or wherever else you want to yell at us. We look at it all, but we want to know what you think. Let us know. Excelsior! And that is it for THN 481. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, I need you to set up the new question of the week. This week's question comes from Harvey Locust, who was inspired by the industry game changers question from a couple episodes ago. What artist do you think changed the face of comics? Who inspired new generations of artists or changed the way we see comic book art? I like it. It's a good question. Yeah, we talked about doing this one last week, too. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that shows out their hard-earned cash they could be spending on comics every week by supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we cannot afford the highly detailed Adam Strange jetpacks we picked up off the cosplay section of Craigslist. I didn't even know there was one. I do not want to visit that <laughs> section of Craigslist. It is perverted, let me tell you. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the crew at Meltdown Comics in Los Angeles who announced that they will be closing their doors after 25 years. That is awful. Meltdown has been a big presence not only in the comic community, but in podcasting and comedy as well. I mean, they're not as funny as we are, but yeah, they try. You know? Right, yeah. yeah. Word to you guys, and good luck in whatever you do next. It's really a shame that a, a 
comic book institution has to shut its doors. Yeah. I used to go to Meltdown every time we went to L.A. on tour, and I loved that comic shop. I'm really sad to hear that it's going, and I hope that's not, you know, a harbinger for the industry. (laughs) Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might just strap a jetpack to you and shoot you into space. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. 